Okay, and this is going to be called The Vision is Regenerated Spirit, Supernaturally Led Part 2. I like it that I have a title. I am going to work to have titles first. Okay, praise the Lord. Um, tonight we're going to finish up talking about the regenerated spirit. We talked all about what was the intuition function, and I'm going to give a quick review. But tonight we're going to talk about the communion function and finish up with the discernment function. Now, but before we go in there, I would love everybody to turn to Proverbs 28, verse 9. You know, praise God. Jasmine is here. New hairdo? Yep, I like it. <laughs> she smiles so cute. Um, praise God. The thing that, you know, there's so many um, weapons of warfare that we have. Because remember, we are on this, in this earth, but we are not of this earth. And the Lord has given us spiritual warfare, tools that we can use. And one of them is prayer. But do you know, we have to make sure God can hear our what? Prayers. So before we open and talking about the regenerated spirit, one of the weapons of warfare that the spirit works in us is prayer. And, you know, sometimes prayer is hard for us because does everybody know the story of Matthew about they come to the synagogue and the one Pharisee comes and he stretches his arms out and he is praying this eloquent prayer. And then the poor tax collector who feels bad about himself just comes in and falls on his knees. And he's just like, I don't know what to say. I'm, I'm not like him. What do I say? Well, we pray from our what? From our heart, from the spirit, from our, we just, nobody can, no, prayer comes from the inside of you. All right. And that is a heartfelt prayer when it comes from the truth and the sincerity from within you. So don't think you have to be this beautiful prayer, you know, speaking out and memorizing things. But you know what's awesome is that the word of God has to be returned back to God. When he sent his word, remember, he sent his word, there's a verse, to what? Heal us and deliver us from our own what? Destruction. So Jesus came to this earth to go back to the Father. So the living word came to the earth, lived out the word, and then he had to go back to the Father to be glorified. Now think about this. If we pray out the word of God, who are we giving that word to? We're giving it back to who? To God. So because if we believe in that word and we confess it with our mouth, believing it in our heart, that word cannot come back to us void because we have to give that word back up to the Father. And then as it's coming back to us void, what does it bring us? Resurrection, glory. It brings us the promise of that word. So isn't that awesome? Even the Father had to do that. He had to send his word, right, to deliver us and redeem us from our own destruction. But he had to what? Resurrect him back up to him to bring the truth of it back to us in the Holy Spirit. Isn't that awesome? He already showed us the steps. So what do we pray? We pray out the word because we're giving the word back to him. And even when you receive a word of God, a word that you know that you're standing on, you have to keep speaking it to him. And as you keep confessing it day by day and every time you do, do you know it starts to manifest in you? It manifests from the spirit then it manifests in your soul, and then it starts to become your body. It's awesome. I was counseling with somebody, and it says in Ephesians that you are to lay aside all bitterness, wickedness, wrath, negative speaking. It tells you what you have to give away. And then it tells you 
and speak of good things, loving kindness, be kind, let your words be good, right? If you meditate on those verses every day and you're a real negative person and you start giving that word back up to God, what's going to happen? That you will become that word and you will start speaking kind, loving, all things that aren't bitter because you've just exchanged your life for his life. You know, we, it's in Ephesians 4, 31 and 32. You know, it's awesome. If you confess those two verses, do you know you have to become that? All of a sudden, you'll start noticing your words are changing. They're not of bitterness. They're not complaining. They're not angry. They start becoming full of love. And then when you start worshiping and praying out the word, man, you come in, you're just happier. You just feel happy because our natural flesh cannot handle this, cannot handle the world. Do you know what I mean? Remember, the flesh wars with the spirit. The spirit wars with the flesh. If we didn't have Christ in us, we would not make it in this world. We would be so beat down with the bitterness of other people, wrath of other people, complaining of other people. We've all been there. You know, I remember when I got into real estate and I negotiated with my first realtor and she was a top agent and I was like young and dumb. And she told me, is that all you can do? And she called me stupid. She said, you're not doing it right. I held the phone up and I just started crying, but I didn't want her to hear me cry. And then I said, thank you, ma'am. I will do what you say. Right? And I hung up the phone. I was mad because I didn't think I did anything wrong. But, you know, we are so right in our own eyes, you know. But I love that experience because every time I saw her, I would remember her telling me that I wasn't smart. And then, I, you know, I had to be loving to her, you know. And I always thank God that I had a natural joy. Then there's his joy. But it is hard sometimes. Proverbs 28, 9 says, one, that's got to be Rachel. Let me turn this. Yes, Rachel. <laughs> okay. It's Proverbs 28, 9 says, one who turns away his ear from hearing the law, even his prayer is an abomination. What does that mean? When you start learning the word of God and you're being taught it, not preached it, you're being taught it. You're being taught his law, not the laws of the world. But it says, one who turns away his ear from hearing the law, even his prayer is an abomination. So that means if you are hearing the word of God and you choose to what? Reject it. Do you know that the Lord can't hear your prayer? Now turn to Second Chronicles. And this is something Chris and I were talking about this week. And it's really awesome because it reminds us, how many people want to make sure God is hearing your prayer? Right? We all do. But do you know that there are certain steps? It's in Second Chronicles. I think it's, um, <coughs> excuse me, Second Chronicles 7, verse 14. All right. So we are all people of God here. Everybody is saved and born again, right? There isn't anybody in here who isn't born again. It says, if my people who were called by my name. So are we his people? Yep. And we are called by his name. We will, one, humble themselves. We will, two, pray. We will, three, seek my face. And we will, four, turn from our wicked ways. Everybody in here has wicked ways. Nobody's void of that. Then, then, I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin 
and heal their land. Now, verse 15, my eyes will be open. My ears will be attentive to prayer made in this place. What's this place mean? This place means a position you put yourself into. What place and position? What do you have to do to get into that place? Humble yourself. What do you have to do to get into that place? Pray from your heart. Pray the word. What do you have to do in that place? Seek his face. That's worshiping. Seek his face. What do you have to do in that place? Turn from your wicked ways. So when I talked about Ephesians 4, 31, 32, a person has to turn away from their feelings of bitterness, give it to God, and then speak things that are kindness, gentleness. So we have to turn and renew our mind. The wicked way is where? In our soul. But when we do those things, and God says, sees us taking one step closer to him, this spirit in us starts to grow. It starts to grow, and we can hear God more. And he tells us, if you do that, he's going to open up that heaven. He's going to forgive you from your sin, and he's going to heal your land. What is your land? Your soul. Because the only thing that keeps you in torment is what you're thinking in your mind. Okay? We, have that to th- we know when the enemy's speaking to us because it's not positive. We know when the enemy's speaking to us because it's forcing us to do something we really don't want to do. But we think it could be for God, so we better do it, but it's really the enemy forcing us. Remember, we either choose our thoughts are of fear of the, or they are of faith. Faith is always connected with love, and fear is always connected with impatience. Fear wants to make you, it makes you feel bad. It makes you feel like you've got to hurry. God set time so we didn't have to hurry. Timing of growing in the spirit, the regenerated spirit of us, thank God that he gives us time because he doesn't expect us to be full of it right away. He expects us to grow with it. But keep in mind, humbleness was the very first one. And when we become humble to God, that means we surrender ourselves in humility, knowing we don't have it all together. And we only have it together when we learn how to use the spirit in us. So isn't that beautiful? So we want God to open his eyes to us and we want him to open his ears. It says in verse 16, for now I have chosen and sanctified this house. Do you know you have to get to a point where then God chooses and now he's going to sanctify your house. That my name be there forever. That means you'll never deny God. You're his name you will, you will never deny that name. His name will be there forever. And my eyes and my heart will be there perpetually. That means his mind is now in our mind. His heart is now with our heart. So when we're walking and talking, who's walking and talking with us? God. Isn't that beautiful? So we have to hit a point where we perpetually walk with him. We're hearing him. We're feeling him. Today I got to you know, read the, um, read the prayer, the Father's prayer, bring somebody into salvation today. And, you know, every time you read that, you just feel the lift and you just feel yourself floating because it reminds us of his way. We have to speak it. We have to believe it. We have to know that he truly forgives us and all these things. And then you can feel the spirit rise because it's such an awesome prayer. And if anybody has a Joyce Myers Bible, I use that one today. So just to let you know, in the back, there is an awesome prayer at the end that has that. And even if you're already saved, you can re-say that as many times. I have times where I feel like I feel this small 
And I feel like I need to go back and read that. <laughs> and every time I go back and read that, I get that regeneration because we're still working out our flesh. You know, we're still warring with that. So praise God. Last week, we talked about the regenerated spirit and how we sense the intuition. And just to give you a little summary of what we talked about, we talked about in our regenerated spirit, there are the three functions. Well, we started off with the intuition. And I'm not going to go through all the verses on that, Todd. <clears throat> I'm just going to review my notes on this. Okay. The intuition function, it's just going to be a slight review, is where God speaks to us, he, right here in the center of our heart. And he speaks to us three ways, by impressions, illuminations, and his voice. Now, it's an inner voice that you hear. You don't necessarily hear it from an outside. You hear it from the inside, okay? Even Satan tries to speak to you, but he's speaking to you. It's a different way that he's coming from the outside in. God comes from the inside out. An impression, okay, is an indentation produced by pressure, impressed in spirit to do something, a leading in a direction. And you know what? A leading is soft. Unless you're not listening to it, then it starts to increase. How many times have you ever been in a, a sporting game <coughs> or like you knew that you should have? Oh, I love this baseball bases. How many times you were on base at school? Everybody been on a base? Everybody's played where they had to be on a base, whether it was kickball. And you knew you had to run to the next base, but you weren't sure if you should run to the next base. So you're thinking, you're stopping, you're thinking. How many people have been through that? Right? You're going to run? Has everybody been through that? It's bad base running. Okay. <laughs> well, sometimes you're, something in you is trying to lead you either to go run to the next base or stay where you're at. But your mind's trying to figure out. But sometimes you know, this doesn't make sense. I shouldn't run, but I'm going to do it anyway. How many people have done that? Okay. And then it's turned out successful. Well, there's a leading in us that tries to what? It tries to give us an impression to do it. It impresses us to do it. And at the longer, how many times you stood, how many times have anybody experienced where they stood on the base, knew they shouldn't go, and then didn't go and felt terrible? Yeah, you know, you felt terrible because deep down you knew you were supposed to, but you didn't have the what? Confidence to do it because it didn't make sense. But then when you figured it out, you, you, you felt that regret. So remember, you know, an impression is when you get a feeling of moving on something. Or knowing that you're supposed to. Gene and I, three years ago, we went out to go see a building. And it was this big building in a square. And it was in foreclosure. And the bank met us out there. And the bank guy comes. And he has no keys to the building at all. Not one key to the building at all. We're standing there. And I just, I just asked, Lord, are we supposed to get in this building? I felt this impression overtake me. So I knew we were going to get in this building, right? So we check every door. Every door is lock, 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 lock. Well, we go up. You know how they're high, narrow steps? And then some of them have windows where they have the, the iron gate around it. Honestly, I did. I reached over to the iron gate, and I got over from the step to that, and the door was open. And we got to go into the building. Now, we didn't buy this building, but I knew, I knew from the impression that we were going to get in that building, and I wasn't to what? Give up. Okay, so a leading in a direction is for some reason God leads us to do something. We can't understand why or what the purpose, but we just have to what? Just keep pressing through because he has that door open 
but we just have to be persistent. All right, so an indentation produced by pressure, you feel that pressure inside, and it impresses you to do something, a leading or direction. An illumination is, illumination is a spiritual enlightenment, a light falling on your spirit and visions. A spiritual enlightenment means you're in here and you're listening, right? And you hear a word and you go, wow, that's an enlightenment. It now what? The light bulb goes off and you are now connecting with an understanding of something. So you know that word is for you. I could, sp I could speak one word and it could hit only one person in here, but it was said for that one person, for it to be an enlightenment to them. Of light falling on your spirit. When you're reading something or looking at this chart, the first time I saw this chart, I experienced an illumination. My spirit started to rise, and I didn't understand anything, and this chart started to illuminate out to me. The first time I saw this chart, I would see the men illuminating out because the illumination was letting me know to focus on that one thing. So sometimes we receive illuminations where as it's becoming enlightened, you actually see it light up to you. You actually can see a word jump out of a page. How many people have had that experience where they open up the word, they read that word, they're like, that's for me. It illuminates, it lights itself up to you. And then visions, open visions, are when you people are awake and they actually see things happening or they see a vision because as you're being taught, you start connecting. Like when we talked about the bases. Some of you are going to visualize the moment you were standing on that base, that base. And recognizing that moment that the Lord might have been leading you to run to the next base or stay where you're at. So you can visualize, you can visualize those things right now. I remember, I can see me standing up in kindergarten and having to hit a bat for the first time and being afraid. My arms shaked while I held the bat. I can see that moment now. But it's only because the Lord, what, is bringing it back to my remembrance. There are times that when you're learning, the Lord gives you a vision of something you've never seen before. But he knows that it connects with you and how you'll receive. So visions are awesome. And then the third one was a voice, God's voice. It is a general, a gentle whisper or a roaring lion. <clears throat> and when we say voice, it's an inner, we have an outer ear and we have an inner ear that hears voices. Okay. And we let those, we let voices start talking to us from things that we bring into our ears and things we take into our eyes. You know, if we went to a place every day that smelled bad, was terrible, and we put ourselves in that environment, what do we start thinking? This smells bad, it's terrible. We start our thinking, starts thinking like that. But we have to actually be able to know that our eyes and our ears receive things around us. And then in that decides what kind of voices you're going to listen to. You know, if you're around people who speak negative to you all the time, that means you're voices in your mind are going to start to talk negative things, give you lack of hope. And you know a voice of God is going to give you what? Hope, faith. It's going to tell you the truth. It's going to draw you to the word. A voice that's of Satan is going to bring you down, make you feel insufficient, make you feel not successful. It's going to make you, it's going to try to talk you into nicely not doing something because it's going to hit with you with what insecurities you have. So voices of God are gentle, and they're soft, and they're positive. But at the same time, if that voice keeps repeating itself for you to do something, it starts to what? 
roar. It can, it gets firmer. It increases. So if anybody has heard this, like when people come up for salvation, when they come up for the first time and they get hands laid onto them and they give their heart to Christ, do you know they're hearing a voice and something's growing in them to come get the truth? And that is the spirit of the Lord drawing them and leading them. And you hear that voice go, go, go. I remember when I was sitting back here, Jean's dad was talking to me. They were doing all this prayer up there. And all of a sudden I felt this rise and I, I heard a voice, an inner voice say, go up. And I was just like, now I was already saved, but I didn't know why I would have to come up. Well, all of a sudden his dad's speaking to me and I can't hear anything he is saying. All I kept on hearing was the inner voice increasing, go up, go up, go up. And I went like this, I, I can't hear you anymore. I told him, I think I have to go up there. <laughs> so because I came from an Episcopal church, you didn't come up and get prayed for. That was the first time I stepped up here and it was powerful. I swear a power fell and I fell this way and Jean fell that way. We didn't even touch each other and this power and it knocked us both down. We had to get back up, <laughs> but I felt it rise. I felt it rise, you know, and so, and the voice was telling me, go, go, but it kept increasing. It, it got louder. The more I sat my butt back there and did not move, it got stronger. And we know how that feels. So praise God. So this intuition comes to us in three ways, a voice, an illumination, and an yeah, impressions. Okay, awesome. So once we receive that Holy Spirit within us, this now we have we 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 now start learning those things. But now we need to talk about the function that is the communion worshiping God function. And that has to do with prayer. That has to do with worship. Communion is the second witness within the first witness. Do you know that the second witness we get when we start communicating with God, the first witness is already in us. Even if you come up here and you get saved, you came up from the what? The first witness. Something of God illuminated, impressed, and talked to you and moved you to come up. What are you guys laughing at? Oh, there's a typo. Oh, you fixed it while we were talking. Awesome. So communing now is your second witness. You get these things inside. How many times do we feel tossed to and fro? Is this God? Is it not God? Is this God? Is it not God? Now we have to move into the second position. The only way to find out if something is God and not God is communing with God so that he can start telling you, yes, this is me, because we have to remove our flesh and get an increased spirit to know. So the communion function is where we draw near to God in prayer, in worship. Second, through this function, we pray. Now, you know what? I just gave you the verse on the steps you need to make sure you do so God can hear your what? Hear your prayer. Hear your prayer. Okay, so through this function, we pray. We pray from the sincerity of our heart. In fact, there's many kinds of prayers. I was listening to a Dr. Siddiqui tape, and I love that man because he really studies the word of God. There is prayers of faith. Prayer of supplication, prayers that we pray, you know, in faith for sickness. There, there's a lot of um, intercessory prayer. So there's a lot of different ways that we're to pray to God for certain situations. So 
through this function, communion, we pray. We pray from our humility. We pray when we're hurt. We really, we, we seek God in our prayers. So it's very important. We pray out the word of God if God gave us the word. So we pray that word out. Um, in fact, um, just to let you know, to go back, I remember when um, there was a man that came here and he said through, there's a verse in Philippians 4.4, 4, and you guys can read that letter 4.4, 4, 4, 5, and 4.6. And it says that with prayer and supplication, okay, uh, we have to actually, when we pray to God, like I prayed to get out of debt. When I first came here, I heard this. He says, like, you have to ask God. I have to ask God to get out of debt? So, okay. So I, I learned that I had to now ask the Lord to help me get out of debt. But then I had to find all the scriptures that told me I wasn't supposed to be in debt. So now with supplication, I found the word of God. I wrote all my debts down on a piece of paper, and it started not to feel good. Then I wrote down all the prayers that backed up that I should not have that. I asked for forgiveness of the sin, and I exchanged my life for his life. I told him I will never go back into debt. You know, I gave a vow to him I would never take on a debt. So now I can't, what, take on a debt. But he says, if you do it my way, I heard him say, then in one year I'll have you debt free. And I started doing it his way, not by communing with him, through prayer and supplication. So I asked for it, all right? And then I told him all the verses. I gave him back his what? Word. So he said, now he's got to bring me debt free. And he did it in one year. And uh, people who were around me, you were around me at the tail end of that year. Amazing what he did. It was it, nothing I could do. It was all done by him. And people who hear the story, guess what? There is dominion, there is authority, and there is power. Anytime I talk those stories, you can feel it. I can talk to a business person, I can tell these testimonies, and you can feel the room being taken over. Because why? It became, I became one with it. Now I could never, I would be dishonoring God if I took a debt. I couldn't do it. I'll live as menial as I can until I have enough money to get what I need, or the Lord will provide it for me. So it's become so strong in me, and it was through a function of prayer. You know, we have to, when it says, seek the kingdom of God first and his righteousness, and he will what? Bring you peace, joy, and all these good things. But do you know you have to seek him for it? Seek him by communing with him. So he knew my heart was pure for no debt. And he knew I was going to do what he told me to do. And none of it made sense. I mean, none of it made sense. And he told me I would bring you to zero. That means there was going to be nothing left. But he would bring it to zero if I did it his way. Praise God. All right, the next one, number three. Through this function, we worship. So this is what we did today. We did, there's two types of worship. We do independent worship at home, and then we do what? Group worship. You can't get by with just doing fellowship worship. Fellowship worship brings us together so we can increase together. That means wherever my spirit is, wherever her spirit is, if we came up here and we just sang, we all would start what? It would start rising up so he would come down and descend on us. All right, but through this function, we also have to do it independently at home. And if you're a night person, morning person, whatever, start your worship wherever is comfortable for you. And then I will give you a promise. God will wake you up at three o'clock and four o'clock in the morning. He lets you start off with the way you like it. <laughs> and mine used to be when I went to bed. 
I, I couldn't get up early and do this worship thing. So what I do, I would, after I finished reading the Bible, I put my headphones on and I would worship for 30 minutes. Next thing you know, I'm sitting up and I start worshiping till one or two o'clock in the morning. And then I would go to sleep. And then all of a sudden, because it became so, it felt so good. Man, then I would go to bed early and then he'd start waking me up at 3.30, almost for a whole year, 3.30 in the morning. I would worship until seven o'clock, then take my shower and be in here at 10. I mean, I don't get up at 3.30 right now. I mean, if the Lord wakes me up at 3.30 to worship, but he was getting me to a point so he could perpetually live in my house. I know Christ is with me all the time and he will never leave me. He made that promise. I, I pressed in so much for those two years that I know now he won't leave me because I'll never give up his what? His name. It says, who will build me a house? You have to build this house. That's why we don't feel the spirit all the time in the beginning. We've got to build the house of worship. And then you hit a point and he will never leave you because he knows you'll never leave him. I may not get up at 3.30 every morning now, but I still worship him every day. In some time in my day, and man, I feel that spirit overtake me like that. But you have to tarry to build the house. Does everybody understand this? And this is a process that I have to say when I came in here, nobody taught it to me in a lesson. You know, I wish I would have really had this lesson. But I just knew that I just kept pressing, pressing. And then I remembered when the spirit never left me. Even if I don't worship in a day, I can just sit there and say, Father, in the name of Jesus. And I feel it. I feel it rise. But I, in the beginning, it was hit and miss. How many people feel the hit and miss? Yeah. Okay. You're about to enter into it. Never what? Leaving your house. Because you get to a point where he knows you will never leave him. That's true love. True love knows when you'll never leave it. So it makes that home. Isn't that beautiful? So communing the function of worship, it, man, is, I call it the icing on the cake. Because the, even now, I could feel like I don't deserve something. But when he brings it to me, you, you just, you do humble yourself. You're like, wow, you just did this? And every time he does, and I know people in here are experiencing that. And he builds us up. He builds us up. All right, number four. Uh, the first one is draw near to God. <coughs> we have to start believing that <coughs> when we draw <coughs> near to God, he will draw near to us. That's a, a belief you have to start getting. That's a renewed mind. You know, if I feel weak physically, and I know he already built this house and he's not leaving it, but if I just press in, press in, press in for something, do you know he immediately comes near to me and gives me what I need from this word? So that's, that's, this is all about relate. Communing is the relationship part. Everybody has the intuition, but do you trust it? No, you don't trust it till you enter into a relationship with it. Okay, and don't beat yourself up on it. The right times are the right times for everybody. Number four, through this function, communing, we meditate on the word or commune that it, or, or communion that is received. Okay, sometimes you'll get a lot of verses when you come into teaching. Like everybody, when you come to discipleship, you get a lot of verse, don't you? One of the things that helped me grow fast is I would go back home and write out every verse that Jean taught. You should see the piles of notes I have. And then I would sit and I would meditate on it really slowly. So then I would move on. Then I would open my Bible after worship 
then the Lord would start speaking to me. So there are, there are words that we meditate at that we're being taught, but then there are times that when we commune, there is a time that that word now becomes received. You actually, that word in your spirit is now becoming one with your soul, and that's when it will never leave you. It never leaves you because now it's what in this mind. Everybody in here can speak a verse right off their tongue. Even Courtney can. Even though you're still learning, there is a verse that you can think out that you could speak off your tongue. And when you can do that, that naturally, I remember the first verse I really remembered really strong because I meditated. And when I communed with it, I remember when we received each other. Isn't that awesome? It's like we received each other. And it, the word is powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing the division between the soul and the spirit, the joints and marrow, and is the discerner of the true heart. You know, I, when I realized I would hear Gene speak it, and I didn't understand it. Joints and marrow, what is all this, right? But I remember when I received it and understood it and how the word divides our soul and spirit and then aligns it into one when our heart becomes right with it. Man, when that came alive to me, boom, I thought that was awesome. So through meditation of the word and our communion, then it becomes received. And when it becomes received, that means you've actually become it. And now there's power on that word. So it's beautiful. So through this function, we meditate on the word <coughs> that we have received. For example, in, a fellowships, in, in this fellowship's function, we already know something in our heart because God speaks it to us. Now that as we spend time with God, it becomes one with us in our community. It becomes our second witness. But that doesn't mean we move on it yet. That doesn't mean there's, there's always movement on it yet. Because we still, we meditate on the word through the second witness. Now, I don't know how many people have experienced receiving a prophecy and words from God. Sometimes you might be spoken a prophecy. I'm going to use Christopher as an example. The prophet said to him, it's been said to you more than one time, he is an evangelist, and he's going to be commissioned, you know, ordained in 2015. He's giving him the goal. Deep down, you already knew it. Okay, so he received his second witness because he's been coming into this ministry, and he's been growing. So now he's received his, he is communing with that whole idea. <laughs> he is communing with this whole idea. Todd's communing with the whole idea of being a prophet. Um, Carrie had to commune with the whole idea of being an evangelist. I had to commune with the whole idea of being a teacher. But in that, he hasn't released you yet. You've got to start building that communion with him in it. And it's your second witness. But that doesn't mean he can go out and start evangelizing. That doesn't mean he can go out and start using his gift. You can't. You have to let it commune and build with him. That's why it says, be careful. When you're under surgery, don't put yourself around people in the second witness. Really sanctify yourself unto God because he is sanctifying you during that second witness time. You're in the second witness. She's receiving things. Paige is in the second witness. Things are building. Marvin, everybody in here is in the second witness because they're already saved. So there is something God is telling you that you're growing in that thought, that possibility. You're being developed in the word of God. But we're still what? Soft. We're not ready to be out. So it's awesome. Does anybody have any questions about the communion?
about the commune. Okay, so when we receive the enlightenment, whether it is a perception, an impression, an illumination, or his voice, we don't act on it right away. We worship, we meditate, we pray on what you wrote down or received in worship. Okay, when we receive things in worship, we write it down. When a a word illuminates to us in worship, what do we do? Write it down. And we start meditating. I remember when Todd called me one time, I got this word from God. And he has the verses. The first thing I said to him is what? Read it every day. Read it out every day. Confess it out. Give it back to God. Meditate on it every day. And now it's, it's incredible. That word is becoming him. And it'll be his testimony. I don't want to say what the word is. But when he comes up here and tells that testimony, it is becoming him. And it's beautiful. You know, in counseling, when we counsel people, Gene always, uh, verses come out in order. He has me type them up and give them back to the people. And Gene says, Lee, if they just meditate on those words in worship and in prayer and gives it back to God, they'll become that word. And, you know, we see the ones who do it, and then we see the ones who don't do it. But you have to tarry with it. It doesn't happen one day of reading. We've had people say, yeah, I read that. Nothing's happening. Okay, keep going. How much do you love and believe in God? Even if your faith is as small as the mustard seed, If you let that faith grow, it will grow what? A mustard seed can never be hybrided with anything else. It is a a one-of-a-kind seed, and it just, when it grows, it does what? I don't know if you know about mustard seeds, but it grows big. It flourishes, all right? And so that's what happens with us. When the word is truly conceived and it becomes that one, it will do what? It will grow a harvest. if If it's of God, it can never be changed. So how will I know when to stop worshiping? Only Gene would think of this. Meditate and pray because we get weary in praying it out. Just like Marvin, whatever <coughs> your prophecy the other night, you should write that out. If you, if we, do we have that on tape? You in spring now need to write that out. And in your, each of your worship times, you guys need to be communing with that. And there are verses that will back that up everything that was said. But how will I know when to stop worshiping, meditation, and praying? It says, when you have an understanding of the full revelation of what God is showing, when you have the understanding, it is cleared and it's matured in you, then you know that that you don't have to meditate on that, that verse anymore. So when you become ordained, And all the verses and everything God's telling you to do right now, you need to keep praying and meditating on it until that time, what, comes. And when Gene calls it, he calls it and it is finished. Carrie knows what it feels like. When Gene calls it, does that mean you stop growing? No, it's whatever you were working on then now has come to its full maturity. Carrie's now entering into a whole new other world of things he's got to meditate on, pray, and do and experiences that are at a different level, okay? Everybody else in here is still working up to that level because everybody in here has a ministry and a gift that has to be matured. So, but when you hit maturity in that level, you have to deal with a whole bunch of other demons and darkness and and temptations and things like that. And so that's where it says, I love it. The Lord says, it's Ezekiel 16. I love that chapter if anybody wants to meditate on it in private. But it talks about how he takes us under his wing He nurtures us. He loves us. 
He starts beautifying us. And then we hit a point where we either what? We start saying, oh, I'm really cool now. Now I'm going to go do this. Or are you still going to submit that beauty to God and let him work with it? And that's that's a level you hit after ordination. You know, that's a next motion that most people have to deal with. How will I know it is matured? How will I know it is matured? (coughs) Hold on. I missed that. Three ways to know the maturity of the revelation. How do I know it's matured? One, worship. When we become one with the presence of God. So, hold on for a sec. How will I know it's matured is when we become one with the presence of God. That means the spirit grows up in you. The presence does what? Rest right on you. And you feel that oneness with God. Now, I don't know how many people have felt this in here when you worship at home. Has anybody worshiped and felt something land on you and you just can't move? Have you gotten to that point yet? Okay, that is, that is a point you'll hit. You can worship. And the Lord really isolated me in sanctification where it was like Rachel was dating this one boy. She was never home. And I would worship, worship. I'd feel the presence rest and my body couldn't move because now my spirit and the presence of God became one. I would wake up and I was laying there and thought I've only been laying there 30 minutes. I was laying there three hours and my body just felt like it was just incredible. When I do that now in the morning, I can't get out of bed right away and go walk to the shower. One time I, the presence came, I rested, and then something made me pop up and I had to rush to get a shower. You know, I had to lay in the shower because you can't get up. You can't get up after you get yourself. So there is a place when you worship, when you hit the instrumentals, lay in bed. Let the presence rest on you. Let the presence rest on you. When I met with um, um, uh, Sharice, The moment she started crying, the whole time my spirit was rising as I was talking to her, I felt um, the presence of God descend on us. And when it was descending, I didn't know if she was feeling it. Boom, she started crying. And something, it was just, there was nothing to talk about in the room. We just sat there, and I was just like, I don't know if she understands this, but the presence was sweet. It was sweet, wasn't it? You knew something happened. But we actually, that's how we learn to walk in the presence. It's so beautiful. It makes me cry because he wants everybody to walk with that. And you guys can build up that relationship. All right, number two. So worship is so awesome in the communion part. Meditation. When we become one with the will of God. Remember, the will of God is the word of God. He doesn't change his mind. What's in here is what in here. If you are not humble, you do not pray, and you do not seek God, right? And you do not change your wicked ways, what happens? You can pray to God all you want, and it's just hitting the ceiling. He doesn't change his word. What is the will of God? The word of God. So if this Bible says that you are whole in the name of Jesus because Jesus bore your sins, I don't want anybody coming to me telling me they're what? Sick. Don't tell me you're sick. And, you know, we all have to grow in that. It takes us all the time. You know, I I would say, oh, this is killing me. And Todd would say, it's not killing you, Lee. And he is right. Why am I saying this is killing me? Only because we, we have our little introsyncrasies about ourselves. 
But once we learn the word and that word becomes one with us, then that word, you become that word. So when we become one with the will of God, well, what's the will of God? The word of God, the word of God. You know, people, I remember the worst question I was afraid that somebody would ask me when I, all I did was talk about Jesus was, how do you believe in this word? How do you know it's real? Don't you hear people say that? This is men wrote this. Man, I used to have to think about that because I never want anybody to ask me that question. And I was saying to the Lord, what do you say when somebody says this was written by men? And then I got the answer through Gene. He came up to me and he, he asked me that question. He said to me, and it was so weird. He must have knew I was praying about it. He said, Lee, what do you say to somebody when they, when they say, you know, this is written by men? I was like, why are you asking me that? <laughs> because I felt this pressure when he started asking me because I didn't have the answer. And then he showed me in the word that every word that's written in this book was written by God through the Holy Spirit when God put it upon that person. And they started what? Writing. All these visions came from God because Gene was in worship and he started what? Writing. And now he's in such a flu, he doesn't even know what he writes. He had to go back and teach it to himself. <laughs> you know? So in that, that's what I'm saying. The Holy Spirit came upon all those people in the Old Testament. And then... The, the Holy Spirit decided how this book got together. But it's amazing. It's still the bestseller. That there is no changing of this Bible. So you know that's what? God. Do you know? You know it's of God. All right, number three. Prayer. When we become one with communing with God, we do that through our prayer, through communicating with him. Four. Is there four? No, there's only three. Right. <laughs> in fact, this page is not in here. That's the crazy part. I really had to rely on the screen. I, well, how? I'm missing, I'm missing the page. It's not here. You have it right there. Did I hit everything on it? Praise God. Okay. So now, function three. I love function three. So everybody understands everything about function, communing with God. Prayer, meditation, worship. You got the importance of it. Go ahead. Question. It's probably a little too deep or in depth for, I guess, the purpose of what we're covering tonight. But when you hit on about us telling you that we're sick when we have the word of God. Yeah. I knew two people um, today on different instances. They each had family members die of cancer. And it just seems like it's just it's like so prevalent. It's just taking over nowadays. Like, how do we reach those people who are constantly, like, battling something like that? Um, I think that's a great question because I thought about that a lot, too, in the beginning when I was learning how to, you know, what was the right answer when somebody would give that to you? Well, we have healing scriptures that if, and they're in an order in that book, go to the page healing. The first one says, if this sickness is not unto death, then it is for the glory of God. The glory of God would be for him to prove that he overcomes our sickness. But now if somebody is, has cancer and they've gotten themselves down, do you know what I mean? And they're not fighting the spiritual fight. Well, then that sickness can, it becomes their sickness unto death. It's what, but you know what? You can't feel bad. You rejoice. Do you know what I mean? Because everybody has a time. God decides to bring your life and then he decides to what? Take it. And every life is for another life. We rejoice in someone's death. Because it's to bring somebody else back to God. Do you know, even the worst sinner, his death will bring another life back to God. Everybody ends up giving their life 
for somebody's life. Isn't that beautiful? Really, when you think about it. So, but yes, there are certain illnesses that are caused by hurts in our soul. Our land, our land gets possessed by the enemy. Our land gets attacked by the locusts. Our land gets destroyed because we start thinking the wicked things that are not God's ways. And then what starts manifesting in our body? Cancer. Cancer's been connected. They can't figure out where the energy of that is except for by unforgiveness. So when you have unforgiveness in you and you don't get over it, you don't release that bitterness, you don't release that anger, it's got to what? It starts, it, so it starts in your soul. Your spirit can't get to your soul, can't become one. So now it starts to manifest in your body. Yeah, anger, anything that has to do with anger, bitterness, complaining, all those things, it's brewing up something that's not of God in you, and then things start happening, you know? I am a breast cancer survivor, and my cancer was discovered the week that I was going through my divorce. And even the doctors told me it was because of the stress and the anger and everything that I was going through causing that to start growing. So I had to forgive. And only the power of the word through Jesus Christ can get somebody to heal. Those healing scriptures, if you read them with somebody who has cancer and you help them to confess their unforgiveness or even if they're angry at somebody else, <laughs> they don't have to go to that person. They can work it out with somebody as long as God sent, set the moment. I know that when I meet with somebody, if it's time to talk about the unforgiveness part, God will set it up that that person will receive me and they won't think that I'm hurting them. Okay? There are times that I'll be with people and the Lord will tell me exactly what they have to do to move into something else. But you have to be careful how you tell that. Because they have to be ready to, what, receive it because you don't want to be a stumbling block for somebody. And when we become zealous for God, we start feeding that word down people. And then they end up throwing it back up at you. You know what I mean? Like it doesn't get there. And that's why we have to learn to walk in love. All right. So is that, did that answer your question? But if you read those healing scriptures really slow, you know, I believe that anybody can get healed of whatever cancer that they are. Rob and the lady in this ministry. I remember going there, and I, he showed me the screen of all the cancer. And I just pointed that screen. I said, she is going to be whole. And then they wanted to put her in surgery the next day to drain her lungs. And here, she really wanted to have it done. I said, you do not have to do that. You wait and pray on God. Because I asked the doctor, what happens if you drain her lungs? Oh, they'll fill up again. So if, the, if they got filled up, your body can what? It can rescind back into the body. Do you know she went? And didn't have it done, didn't have it done, and then felt the pressure. And they signed up for surgery. She didn't tell me. She was afraid to tell me. They went in there, and they tested her. All gone. There was no water. There was the, the buildup wasn't there. And it's because she was learning to what? Believe in the word. Letting the word commune and become one with her. All right? But, you know, you just can't tell people to drop medicine. You have to what? Teach them. Build them up in learning the word. Then they'll want to become that word. I know Paige. Man, we've talked. She wants to become that healing word because the Lord's going to restore something in her and heal her. And the moment he does it, like he did with my finances, man, Paige is going to come up here. And if there's anybody sick, they're just going to they'll fall because the power of the dominion and the authority on her healing, it will never leave her. He never will leave that house. 
He will stay in her, and that will be one of her ministries that she is supposed to minister out. So as we grow and learn this, we do. All right, so the conscience. All right, the conscience, it's a tough one. How am I go, oh, my conscience? Do you know what your conscience is? Okay. The conscience is the judgment seat. The conscience is the moment that you have to make a judgment call, and you're either going to pick God or you're going to pick Satan. You're going to stay on the base or you're going to run to the next base, and you're dealing with the decision to do it, but the judgment seat there becomes that pinnacle moment where you've got to choose. All right, so the conscience is this is where we experience conviction. I love it. <coughs> this is where we experience discernment. This is where we experience a sense of right and wrong. This is where we experience the inner judgment, the inner judgment. Now, I know it's kind of funny when we talk about shame. I always use the same example. If you've ever been in a house with more, unless you were an only child, you will not understand this. But if you were not an only child, my mom would buy a bunch of cookies and she put them in a jar, a cookie jar. Well, when nobody is looking, I'm one of six kids. Everybody has stolen a cookie from the cookie jar. Okay. So then there comes a time where mom screams in the house, who stole the cookie from the cookie jar? She calls everybody down. Do you know every single one of us, our conscience felt inner judgment? Not because we stole the cookie at that time, because we already stole the cookie before. And she wants to know who, who stole the cookie, right? And you're just brewing inside because you're, you're like, I didn't steal it, right? Because you may not have stole it that one time, but you could have stole it in the past. So our conscience becomes our judgment seat of knowing when we've done something wrong and when we haven't done something wrong. And if we've done something wrong and got away with it, we're still going to feel the what? The judgment, inner judgment in us. Everybody in here is told a lie. The Bible says men lie. We all are growing out of not telling little white lies or not thinking that we're protecting ourselves. But every time there becomes a time when a lie gets exposed, everybody gets their little heart like, it wasn't me, it wasn't me, because we've all done it. That's the best thing about the conscience. You humble yourselves when you can say, yes, I did this wrong. Yes, I've lied. I stole the cookie. I, did. <laughs> I mean, when you can come one with your sin and know he has forgiven it, you could talk about your sin to anybody. It doesn't make a difference with what it is. I could talk about every sin I've committed, and I am proud of him. Why? Because he forgave me of them and because I now, my conscience is so firm in the word of God, I won't go back and do them. Because, they, because the word became one with me. And that doesn't mean I'm still not messing up. I just know the, the verse in 1 John, I think it's 2.19 or 1.19, where it says confess your sins. In our prayers, we are to be confessing our sins daily and asking God to what? Forgive us because we still make those mistakes. So conviction, you know what that means. The cookie. <laughs> yes. <laughs> see everybody does this I know everybody has stolen from the pantry you know what I mean when they weren't supposed to you're right that was good your mom had a cookie jar that made a noise so then you became more sneaky 
<laughs> she had to discern more so it didn't make any noise. You know what I mean? But her sense deep down, do you know we're all built with the truth in us? We all are built to know that we sear our own conscience. Have you ever heard of a seared conscience? If a person shoots somebody, do you know what I mean? They're doing drugs and they're not doing it because that's what they want to do, but they start it. They get used to doing it. And then that person just becomes a constant murderer. If a person gossips about another person and they just become what? Used to it. They keep doing it. They're a murderer. And they are keeping it going, keeping it going, because what? Their conscience has become seared. Okay? Seared means you are shut off from communing with God. You're missing out on what God's trying to. Conviction, when you feel conviction, jump up and down. Because that means the light has come to expose that darkness so that it can manifest into what? Light. Says it in Ephesians. So when that conviction is the time and moment that you know God has already given you the right answer to get over it. So you either continue with the bad behavior or you choose God's behavior and know that you are what? Forgiven. I like that. He says, I will turn your, your, um, your, your sins into white as snow. So it's beautiful. All right. John 16, 8 says, and when he has come, he will convict the world of sin. Okay. Who is he? The light of God. When the light comes, it exposes what? Darkness. Because he came to convict the world and of righteousness and of judgment. You know, praise God, we get a conscience. Because if Christ is in you, Christ is being formed in you, then that conscious discernment is going to start feeling conviction. It's going to start feeling the sensing right and wrong. But it says the conscience function under the influence of the Holy Spirit is to protect you. So don't get upset when you get convicted. God is only trying to what? Protect you by showing you the truth because Jesus came to reveal that truth. So when, you, when it's revealed, don't go hide and cry. It, claim it. Can, can, bring it out. This is wrong. I'm not doing it right, God. Show me the right answer. War with it in the spirit. Don't beat yourself up with it. That's why it's so awesome. God's grace is his truth. God's grace is unmerited favor that when you recognize the wrong and you choose his way, boom, watch. You will receive unmerited blessing because you chose his way and not your own. Isn't that beautiful? That is the, that is the pattern of God. It is to protect you and release you into your maturity. Nobody can be ordained in here if they haven't gone through the process because God's got to get and expose the things that are in you so he can mature you into what he created you to be. But he can't put you out there with all your devils. He's got to know that you understand the process so as things still come to light, even after ordination, when things still come to light, now you know how to work it and you're gonna choose God continually, perpetually. You're not going to give up. So it's beautiful. As the fellowship of the truth enters the conscience. So as we fellowship with God's word and the conscience to prove the righteousness of Christ and the defeat of Satan, the conscience functions gives the green light to the soul to carry out God's will, which is his word, and purpose with power, peace, and authority. 
And you know, I'm going to pick up something very obvious in our age. A lot of people have sex before they get married. And there's, you know, that our society encourages that. All right. But if you read the Bible and know the truth, it doesn't make a difference if you did it. But if you change your way, okay, and you fellowship with the truth that you are supposed to be what? Sanctified. You are supposed to sacrifice your body wholly unto him. Okay. Then, and you're, the truth enters the conscience. So now your conscience, after it learns the truth, it can't do that anymore because it feels what? It feels bad. You feel convicted. You feel bad because you know you really shouldn't be doing it. If you're an alcoholic and you've given up alcohol and you go into a bar and you're looking at all that drink, what are you going to feel? Conviction. Because you know you can't enter that world anymore until he's matures you. In marriage, when you get married to somebody, that is the rule of maturity that say, yeah, now you can do that. All right? Um, with drinking, if a person knows that they can still have a glass of wine, but they're not going to take it beyond what they should. We have to fellowship with the truth when it enters into our conscience to prove the righteousness of Christ. We have to prove that that word overtakes our sin because we couldn't do it ourselves. Hey, if we had it our way, we'd all be out at a party, having a beer, drinking, and doing whatever, right? Because that's our sinful nature. But when we commune with God, the truth enters in like light. Boom. Now our conscience, it, we have to yield on Christ so we defeat Satan. The conscience function gives the green light to the soul to carry out God's will. Well, now I know that word. Chapter what? Corinthians chapter 7 verse 1. A man shall not touch a woman. Okay? It's pretty, it's pretty direct. It's what it is, right? Unless married. All right? So now the conscience function gives the green light that when you feel like you want to touch and be with somebody, no, this isn't supposed to happen. So now I'm going to what? Give it unto God, and he will give you the power not to do that anymore. If you tell a lie all the time and you just can't help it, and you give it unto God, and then he does what? The moment you feel that conviction, then what happens? You turn and decide to do the truth. Then all of a sudden, he gives you the green light to go. The soul will carry out God's will and purpose with power. That means there'll be power in it. There'll be what? Peace. And then you have authority over who? Satan. And you know what? And God has to honor his word. When you choose his word, and you do it, do you know how awesome it is, the blessings that you're going to receive? And it can be anything. It can be drawing near to God and him drawing near to you. If you don't spend time with God, then you're not doing God's will, and there will be no power, there'll be no peace, there'll be no authority, you know? So we have to grow up in these things, and we know when God's speaking to us a word. Why? Because it keeps haunting your what? Mind, mind, mind. And so that's the beauty of conviction. That is the beauty of conviction. John 8, 2 to 12. What time is it? Okay, six minutes. All right, to 8 o'clock. John 8, 2 to 12. Now, early in the morning, he, Jesus, came again into the temple. <laughs> 
So early in the morning, God comes into your temple. Jesus comes into your temple. And all the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. Then the scribes and the Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery. Isn't this awesome? This is awesome. And when they had set her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery. In the very act, what are they doing? Embarrassing her, right? The scribes and the Pharisees are ones that are into pinning you to the rule and not let it become one with you. See, God wants you to choose his word willingly. If his word says a man shall not touch a woman and a man reads that, he wants you to grab it on willingly, not because it's a rule and you better do it. Because if it's a rule and you better do it, then it doesn't become one. But if you do it out of the love of God, the power on it, it'll make it easy for you to do it. Now Moses, in the very act, now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. So the law says that, okay, I found Sharice, you know, I found Sharice. She was in the act. I know that you're not an activist, but you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Don't take it bad. You're saved, and you're, but God loves you, right? But okay, let's say you were the adulterated woman. And the law commanded that such should stone her. But what do you say? What does Jesus say? So what would the world have done? They would have, it didn't make a difference. They found her in the act. Stand up here. Everybody grab a stone. And they would stone her. This they said, testing him. See, they wanted Jesus to fail. That they might have something of which to accuse him. But Jesus, stopped, but Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger as though he did not even hear their accusations. See, that's God. That is the power of love. He didn't look at the adulteress. He looked down, and when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her. There is nobody in here that is not guilty of sin. So we can't condemn each other for those things. We're to help each other learn the truth of God so then we choose the truth. Not feel guilty because they're going to hate me that I did that. Okay? And I love how he said, He who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Then those who heard it, being convicted by their own conscience, the cookie, this is like the cookie jar. <laughs> okay? They're scribes and Pharisees. They've already cheated. <laughs> they've already done adultery, right? I love this. Being with the oldest, even to the least, and Jesus was left alone, and the woman stand in the midst. When Jesus has raised himself up and saw no one by the woman, he said to her, woman, where are those accusers of you? The ones that brought you to be stoned, right? Has no one condemned you? See, no one condemned her. She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, neither do I condemn you. Isn't that awesome? Jesus says, neither do I condemn you. Now go and do what? Sin no more. When you learn the word and then you say, I'm going to what? Become this word. The power of God overtakes you and helps you do it because we can't do it. So I love this. Then Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Here's a woman who is an adulterer, and she has 
Now what? If she, she decided to follow Jesus, because he what? Forgave her? Because nobody else could, could, could judge her. Only Christ in you, the Holy Spirit, gives you a conscience so you can judge not yourself to condemn yourself, but to judge whether is this God or is this not God. Because God did not create us to walk in darkness. He created us to walk in the light. And every time we take one step towards that light, he forgives everything bad we did behind. And I'm going to tell you, I lived with a man for six years unmarried. So guess what I was? An adulterer. You know, I went to a party one time, and I'm in line, and a lady says, they're, they're talking about people who live together unmarried. Live together unmarried. I'm sitting here. I'm already ordained minister, right? And they said, well, those people just better get married. They just better get married because that's a sin. And if they're going to do it, they just need to get married. Todd was in the room at the time. I turned around and I said, I lived with a man unmarried for six years. And if I would have just pushed and got married, I would have been out of what? God's will. And so I would say to anybody that was living together that once they learn that word, you judge what you need to do. Get married or the Lord will separate it. Because I knew once when I recognized that I needed more of God in my life and I started learning the ways of God, do you know the power of God separated me and that man? We were on opposite ends of the house and we lived together like that for a year. And then all of a sudden, one day, a note on the piece of paper, he was gone. Because it wasn't, I didn't even talk about it to anybody. I just gave it to God and I said, Lord, I, I'm an adulterer. I asked for his forgiveness. The Lord definitely has given me his forgiveness, but I'm not embarrassed by it because he changed it and said, it's not the one I picked for you. So I had to be able to do what? Let it go into the law of Christ. And then Christ would decide if that man stayed with me or not. And then if I was to get, I even said, Lord, if I'm supposed to marry him, then let's get this done. If I'm not supposed to marry him, then you start making the changes and I will do my best to stand on your word. And when he showed me, Corinthians chapter 7, and I read through that. That was my instruction from God. You do that. So I did that. And I had people calling me, he's still living in your house? Because he, he did have an affair, you know, which doesn't really mean anything about it. And I said, even somebody of leadership said to me, you should call the police and have him kicked out. I said, I can't do that. I committed myself to this person. So now I have to give it to God and he will decide to end it or healed, bring it to marriage. So, but I'm doing the right thing. So, man, it took a year. <laughs> but the beautiful thing was, giving it to God gave me what? Power. It gave me peace. And then it gave me what? Authority. And that's what happened here. It's not that she was bad and was an adulterer. She didn't know the truth. But when the truth came to her, he says, go and sin no more now. Now she has a what? A choice. Because now she knows the truth. So praise God for anybody who learns the truth, then starts working that truth. The power is going to come on you. And you are either going to be told, this is your husband and wife, or this is not your husband. And, you know what I mean? The Lord will bring you into that truth. Every person who is single, and you know, I would have never said this when I was younger. Don't get into a physical relationship with anybody. Because the physical relationship confuses you and you can't figure out what God's really trying to tell you because you think you owe that person. <laughs> so it gets all messed up. 
That's why he says, stay, if you're single, stay single. If you're married, stay married. There are people who get married that don't have Christ. But if you find Christ in your marriage, then you better what? Stay married. Because God may have brought that relationship together for his purpose, for its right timing. Obviously, when God entered into my life, he entered in at a timing because he did not want me to be with that gentleman. It was a time for me to choose him. And I was married once before, and man, my divorce was done in 30 days. It was easy. We never fought. God never showed up. <laughs> so I joke at that because if that marriage was of God, then it would have never what? It would have never divorced. Somebody, God would have sent somebody to speak sense into our ears. But I loved it. In Malachi, it says the marriage of our youth will always bring a godly offspring. So that marriage wasn't a waste. God used it for what? Rachel. She was my godly offspring. She was a promise to some prayer. And so she became that. So even if you get in a relationship, you think, I just messed up with God. And you maybe have gotten involved in something you think, I just messed up with God. Just give it to God. Apply his word. And guess what? It's never a waste. Because she would have never come to the understanding of Christ when he said, he who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have light of life. Because she went through that experience, she became the what? Truth. She realized the truth. She experienced the truth. She experienced the saving power of Jesus Christ. And it's love. But you know, she, do you think she's that woman? Do you think she would ever go back to that? Nope. And it's beautiful. So anyway, it's awesome. I love 